welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into Twin Peaks Season 2, Episode 19. Variations and revelations. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it feel like all the episodes have been very Jane Austen yeah. titled lately with all that this and this and this and this? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And um, at first I thought you were going to say Jane Austen, like, esque like maybe like the themes of the episode or like how they interact (laughs) each other and this one especially with uh that little um rowboat ride that we get yeah in the lake I was like (laughs) am I watching a Jane Austen (laughs) (laughs) what am I watching again (laughs) yeah definitely and a puzzle box that even though it's not in a Jane Austen it feels like it should be a a Jane Austen and And then they're doing a fashion show where there's all this nepotism I'm like that also feels Jane Austen so yes absolutely Lana is definitely giving me like a couple Lucy Steele (laughs) yes very Lucy Steele very um Clara from Sanditon (laughs) yeah but I never really get that off of her until this episode like I mean I always feel like oh poor pheromone laden Lana. Lana. (laughs) (laughs) I just assumed that she liked older men. (laughs) Maybe like the money a little bit too, but. Right, right. A lot of revelations. People are really acting like the Twin Peaks fashion or pageant is some sort of stepping stone to the greater world. And I'm like, I don't think it is. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) I think the only person who seems to have like realistic expectations on it is Donna because <laughs> she's like I don't give a shit about the pageant I'm just gonna use the money <laughs> <laughs> right well I feel like she's just using it as an excuse to spy on everyone who she's secretly hating but <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> I guess the most sensible that a teenager could be <laughs> yeah so I'm taking it your first impression is favorable <laughs> oh yeah I really liked this episode since I had wrote the recap for it I watched it twice and I just was so happy to watch it again the second time because I was like I just love this episode there's so much like romance stuff there's funny stuff there's all sorts of sinister stuff that's like oh that's a little bit shocking so yeah yeah it did really have a lot and I was when I was doing the notes I was noticing that this is I feel like it's a person we've never seen as the director before oh I didn't even Look and see who the director is. Jonathan Sanger. Yeah, it doesn't sound familiar. Doesn't ring um, a bell. And then he also had like when you went to the wiki, the Wikipedia, I think his name still had the hyperlink. So I think that means mm-hmm. it's the first time it showed up on the page. So Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I think it's his first time. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's as much investigation as I could do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wonder what are the chances that maybe he's dabbled in some Jane Austen or Jane Austen adjacent stuff. I don't know. I didn't really look him up. I should have. Because this uh, episode. But we... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Tell me more of your first impressions. No, no, no. You're. Um, I just, I don't know. I really loved like the ridiculousness of, I feel like we got to see a new side of like Dick Tremaine. <laughs> yes. And it feels like we can see Lucy really leading on one side of her dilemma. <laughs> yes. Which is definitely. the right side in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> definitely. That was a funny scene. I always think of that scene. I love it. That's like one of those that's stuck with me over the years for sure. It's very funny. <laughs> Dick Tremaine with that bandage on his nose and sticking it in the wine glass and yeah. <laughs> very always in my head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about yours? And then, 
Oh, well, ahead, there sorry. were also a couple moments that I don't remember. Like, there was like a little moment with Ben Horn where he's like, oh, it's so hard not to be bad, you know, or something oh, like right. that. And I was like, see, I feel like it's sincere. Like, he's actually trying to be good. It's not yeah. like, I mean, maybe not 100%. And also, I did the voice of Annie in the Twin Peaks Unwrapped community rewatch of this episode. Ooh. Or, yeah, or Unseen Players or whatever they... I can't remember exactly what they called it. But And when I did that, I remember thinking, this must be a new scene because I don't remember it. (laughs) And then it's not. It's right here. Maybe there was some extra dialogue (laughs) that was in the scene we did. But, yeah, I just don't remember them being on the lake. But there it is in front of my face today. (laughs) Uh, I mean, like, are they the perfect couple? (laughs) Is is Cooper the... They're very cute. Is he the perfect boyfriend? (laughs) That was my, I think I wrote that down in my notes because I was like, he's just so sweet. Uh, Yeah, definitely the perfect boyfriend down to like having a job that takes you out of town a lot. So you (laughs) spend every moment together. (laughs) Right. Okay, so I looked up Jonathan Sanger just real quick and he was a producer on The Elephant Man. Mm. Um, and he was an executive producer on, like, a Vanilla Sky. Um, oh, I wonder if he's, like, a producer who was like, I really want to direct an episode. And David Lynch was like, okay. <laughs> you can do it. I mean, I he am. was there. So David Lynch could easily, you know, steer him in the right. right direction if need be. Exactly. But, yeah, that's a good episode. Yeah. Well, should we go ahead and get into the notes? Let's do it. Well, I have to start off with some sad news. Mm -hmm. Just this week, Kenneth Welsh, who plays Wyndham Earl, passed away. He was 80 years old. Oh, I know that. It took me a few days to realize that, too, because I've been avoiding social media. And it's sad because he was actually in one of those. The the final one they did of the Twin Peaks Unwrapped community rewatch. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. He played Wyndham Earl. And it was like so cool. That's so cool. Well, rest in peace. Yes. He has a huge career. I didn't realize he was from Canada until I was looking him up, and I was looking up his IMDb, and he's <laughs> been in a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's like a constant thing of mine when I'm watching movies. I'm like, oh, they're Canadian. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just like, because Canada and America are like so close and everything, I'm like, if you're not French Canadian, uh, I'm not going to know you're Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, well, sometimes I can hear the accent, but then sometimes I hear the accent and I think someone's Canadian, but they're just from like a northern state. <laughs> like Minnesota or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I can't tell. That's why I never understand mm-hmm. why people are so critical of accents, because I'm like, I've heard some bad ones that are real, so I don't know what people are so <laughs> crazy about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so anyway, this episode, episode Season 2, 19, Variations and Revelations. We already talked about the director, Jonathan Sanger. Harley Payton and Mark Frost, the regulars, were the writers. The air date was April 11th, 1991. And, okay, I'm going to just start with the Log Lady intro because the other stuff I found, I feel like is more more interesting even than the Log Lady intro. So (laughs) we'll start with the Log Lady intro. Okay, it's okay. a very strange one. <laughs> pie. Whoever <laughs> invented pie here was a great person. 
In Twin Peaks, <laughs> we specialize in cherry pie and huckleberry pie. We do have many other types of pie, and at the Double R Diner, Norman knows how to make them all better than anyone I have ever known. I hope Norma likes me. Oh. <laughs> I know I like and respect her. I have spit my pitch gum out of my mouth onto her walls and floors and sometimes her booths. Sometimes I get angry and do things I'm not proud of. I do love Norma's pies. I love pie with coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Did I write this intro? <laughs> that sounds so, like, it's just so strange. It doesn't sound like a normal log lady intro. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I did, it did make me think back to when uh, Gordon first met Shelly at the counter and he was yelling over her, the log lady, and she was saying to him, like, this is a miracle about the pie or something. <laughs> very, oh, true. Clearly, clearly true. she loves pie. Hmm. It almost feels like maybe this should have been in the last episode, but. Whatever. Shut up. <laughs> I, I guess I could be wrong, but I'm assuming that IMDb knows what it's talking about. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. This was the last episode with unit publicist Paula K. Shimatsu Yu, who I guess she was also in charge of doing set photography because oh. the further, the last episodes have very little official photography because of her huh. leaving. Oh. which was very interesting to me as a photographer. And I was like, how do I get a job as an onset photographer? <laughs> that was, yeah, that sounds like a cool job. That'll be fun. Okay. And then here's the sad piece of notes. No. I mean, for this episode specifically. After this episode, the series was officially canceled. No. They said you can have the last there was one more that was scheduled for April, so they were going to do that one. But the rest got pushed back till after sweeps. So that's like really? only, what, three episodes or two episodes even? Yeah. Last two. Those last two episodes had already been filmed at this point. So they didn't have any chance to tie up any loose ends or anything Ooh. like that. And that was the end. Well, at least for the next for 25 now. years or so. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> jokes on those executives i know it's depressing even from this far away and knowing the whole story i'm like why <laughs> but i feel like i can remember that feeling of being like depressed at the time yeah because it's like what could have been if the series had like been allowed to go on exactly and my final note is okay the guy a new cast member the uh -huh. guy who played the motorcycle Pong oh, guy yes. was played by Ted Raimi. And I remember watching this and going, well, it was probably like I watched it and then I watched Hercules and Xena. And then I watched it again and said, oh, that guy is so familiar. How do I know him? Because he was in Hercules and Xena. Oh, cool. <laughs> but I looked up his film filmography and He's got to be Sam Raimi's brother or something because he's in all of Sam Raimi's movies and his name is Ted Raimi. That's cool. But it doesn't say in his biography anything like Sam Raimi's brother, but huh. he's got to be because he was in Evil Dead. Yeah. He was in Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't help. I, I feel like that, and that's not like a super common last name, especially spelled like that. So yeah, it's got to be. That's so cool, though. Yeah, I was like, oh. Look at me uncovering things I never knew before. 
That's so funny that he was in Hercules slash Xena because I was a humongous Xena fan as a child. Me too. My dad loved Hercules, so we watched a lot of both of them. And I feel like he started off on Hercules and then became like a regular on Xena, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. I think it was a bard. I could be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so I looked it up and he is the younger brother of Sam Raimi. But another, the note that's before that, which... It started by interesting. So this is more interesting than that was he was babysat by Bruce Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he must be a very younger brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. <sighs> Crazy. And I just, we just watched Dr. Strange like this last yeah. weekend. So I have Sam Raimi in the brain. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, all the Evil Dead vibes in it. Ugh, I'm going to watch Evil Dead now. <sighs> it's been so long since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Either of them. All right. Well, should we go ahead and do the recap? Yes. All right. So we're in episode 19. Um, You said it was variations and relations. And revelations. Revelations. I I don't know why I wrote down variations on relations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I feel like there were a couple times that I was trying to get um, auto-corrected, and I was like, let me just make sure. I want to make sure that I get the right name. (laughs) It's very possible that I wrote down the wrong thing because my brain is liquefied this week. Oh, it is variations on relations. (laughs) Oh, is it? Well, forget it's... everything I said about Jane Austen. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of Jane Austen-ish. Someone at the beginning was like, what are you even talking about? And now they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Or they already stopped listening. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> no, they what probably did the Variations same thing on relations. That's yes. weird. I'm going to think about that one. Yeah, I'm like, is it because we end up with the two couples at the end that should be, <laughs> in my oh, opinion? Oh, maybe, maybe. I guess <laughs> maybe. that makes sense. Uh, who knows? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Gosh. All right. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> All right. So for this episode, we open an owl cave where Coop, Hawk, Andy, and Harry are trekking back to where they found the petroglyph. Now they're a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like you guys looked at it for a total of five minutes and we're like, that's all we need. Good Let's night. Go back. <laughs> uh, but as they come upon it, they find that someone else has already been there and has uncovered more of the wall. That scene is so echoey very, too. <laughs> uh, very echoey. Hawk finds a shoe print in the dirt and says it's the same shoe print that was found outside the power station. And they quickly realize the person who's been here is none other than Wyndham Earl himself. They don't know what he'd be doing in Owl Cave, um, but it seems to spook Coop a little bit. And then he asks Andy to draw a copy of the petroglyph and Harry to have Briggs meet them at the station. I wanted a good look at that petroglyph too. I was like, I need to look it up, look at the map, because I kept seeing like astrology symbols that I recognized and Mm -hmm. lots of questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, There's a the, lot of astrology symbolism in this um, episode between that and like the puzzle box also had it on there. That's what I thought it was because when it opened, I was like, 
some of these look familiar. Some of them do not, but I'm also not an expert in Zodiac. <laughs> I'm an expert in the symbolism of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, uh, we go to the abandoned mill cottage where Wyndham is telling a story. Um, and we start to pan around the room and we see a very interesting looking contraption uh, surrounded by some sort of chain link fence slash material. <sighs> chicken wire <laughs> yeah chicken wire that's the word I was looking for I was like <laughs> I know what that is but I don't know what that is <laughs> I couldn't tell if this was more like a kindergarten class or like a shaman telling a story <laughs> <laughs> I think Wyndham would like to think he's a shaman telling the story but it's it probably more kindergarten class <laughs> kindergarten class <laughs> but we see Leo and then we see a biker sitting at a desk and as we hear more of the story, we realize Wyndham is talking about the Black Lodge and that he intends to find it. So clearly he knows a lot more than we thought. So how much do we know? Like in your brain, how much do you feel like you already know about the White Lodge and Black Lodge? I think from what I can remember, uh, White Lodge is like the good place sort of. And then Black Lodge is like not a great place. You have to like <laughs> face a shadow of yourself, I think, mm, was the mm-hmm. terminology. Mm-hmm. But like in layman's terms, that's what those are. Okay. Mind. Because I remember learning about it like back in the first season when we went to the log lady's house. Mm-hmm. And I know Bob is, you know, associated, but it, I can't, because I've known the whole series, I just can't keep the mythology straight as to when we learned specific mm-hmm. things. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we've gotten to like super specifics yet, but um, I remember Hawk kind of, explaining the general idea of both okay okay cool um all right let's see uh he wraps up his story and the biker asks where the beer and the party he was promised are (laughs) but Wyndham assures him that it will come in time and he starts to play his (laughs) I wrote down flute because I couldn't remember what that instrument was called is it not a flute it's like well I I mean it sounds like a flute and it looks like a flute but I remember him saying something about it oh it's probably some special yeah instrument from a specific culture or something (laughs) right yeah i think so but then we pan over to a a recreation of the petroglyph that he has made himself so oh yeah i was like early use of Mm -hmm. computers (laughs) (laughs) at first i thought it was one of those um i can't remember what they're called but like the the things where you there was like a red square and it had the white knobs and you could like move it to move the sand around and oh, an etch a sketch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I was like, oh wow, fancy etch a sketch. Wow, that would have been really impressive. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> trying those, to do the um... Peaks map on an etch a sketch? No, thank you. <laughs> or like, what was it called, a glow bright or something, where you would put the little like color oh, things light on. Bright. <laughs> light bright. <laughs> uh, all the things I loved as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. What a dangerous toy. Little tiny light bulbs. Like (laughs) swallowing hazard. (laughs) Little tiny pointy (laughs) light bulbs. I wonder if they even still have them. They probably do. (laughs) It's probably like um like a vintage toy store that has them and they're probably like fifty dollars or something crazy. Oh maybe, maybe. Which I would be tempted to buy that. All right, so uh, next we go to the Martell residence uh, where Pete is mumbling to himself some lines of, it sounds like poetry about Josie. And it's very sad that she's gone. Oh, it <laughs> was finding a way for Josie. I, I swear, every scene that he's in makes me love him more. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I was like, oh, 
<laughs> He's so sweet. <laughs> but it stops real soon because Catherine comes in and basically tells him to stop doing that <laughs> and that she needs help to open the box that Eckhart left her. <laughs> Pete <laughs> dumbly asks if she has a key, opening himself up to her scorn. <laughs> <laughs> so easily done. <laughs> yeah, I was like, just laid it out for her, basically. But he starts to look at it more and realizes it's a puzzle box. And he says the trick is to fit the pieces together just so, but that it could take years to open it. And I'm sure Catherine was not too pleased to hear that. And we know that our other Catherine from Northanger Abbey would have been over the moon to have this. Yes. <laughs> Try to figure it out. What a loved a puzzle box. <laughs> Let's hope there's not just a laundry list inside. <laughs> right. All that work for nothing. Now, what was this about? I wrote down the Doolittle twins, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he says, um, oh God, what was it? They went, was it Hawaii? It went somewhere. He went somewhere with the Doolittle twins. And <laughs> that one is, I think he said one's larger than the other. And it's actually kind of shocking that the twins, because they don't look anything alike. And she's <laughs> like, I don't care about this. Please stop. <sighs> I love it. No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Just the the best Pete tangent, in my opinion. <laughs> How much of his tangents are improv, I wonder? Uh, I would not be shocked. <laughs> At the double R, we see Annie making the rounds with some hot coffee, and she passes by a booth where Shelly and Bobby are, and Bobby has apparently done a lot of thinking about the future. <laughs> it's like, all right, let's see yes, where this goes. This is goes. where I'm like, what are you talking about, the Miss Food Peaks pageant? Like, it's yeah. going to get you something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he says the secret to success is that beautiful people get what they want. Well, that's very correct. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, you have a way. <laughs> but as Shelly begins to roll her eyes, he pulls out a flyer for the Miss Twin Peaks pageant and clearly wants her to enter. <laughs> and I wrote that I didn't really like this new side of Bobby because he kind of has like graduated from like pesky little teen to like <laughs> almost like acting like he's very possessive of Shelly, almost in a way, like a very lighter Leo, obviously. He's not physically abusing her, but oh, she's yeah. like, leave her alone. Definitely this working, I say that in quotation marks, for Ben Horn has gone to his brain. But Shelly seems so over him in this episode that I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, you're his assistant. <laughs> she's like, I'm kind of liking this single life. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure she likes being you know, given compliments by people like Gordon, yeah. <laughs> who are very sweet to her, unlike these other guys. It's like, even though I feel sorry for Bobby because, you know, what we learned in The Secret Diary and blah, 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 blah. He's still such a douchebag so much of the time. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of a little jerk. And he needs to <laughs> stop being that way. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, okay. So, um... Shelly gets up, and as she walks away from the table, we pass by Mayor Milford and Lana at a booth. <laughs> I was like, ooh, this is very racy. She <laughs> asks Dougie if there's something he can do for her, to which he replies that he'll do anything that body and mind can stand. And I just wrote, <laughs> gross. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she says she wants to win the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. And he misunderstands her and says he can coach her on how to how to win. 
Um, but she lets him know that since he's one of the judges, he can guarantee her success. I know. I was like, cheating to win. Maybe you are a nefarious Black Widow. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's, I've watched that's the show I, how many times, and I just don't know <laughs> what these people's characters are. <laughs> well, what's so weird is like, I can't imagine that the money she would get from this would be like anything substantial compared to like the Milford money, probably. Yeah. I don't still understand Pete's, her intentions. As we see again in this episode, has no public meeting space for the town. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting can the prize for this pageant actually be? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe <laughs> she doesn't know. Maybe she's just like, I want to win because I'm number one. Oh, I'm sure. I was getting very dropped in gorgeous feelings, even though obviously yes. that movie hadn't come out at this point. But like. <laughs> Definitely dropped gorgeous. Yeah. But Coop comes in and he greets Annie and tells her they need coffee and donuts stat. Always. <laughs> Always. Uh, she goes to start his order. Uh, he stops her and essentially asks her on a date for that afternoon. She agrees, and Coop is super happy, and I wrote, so cute. I know, they're just ah, so cute. I wrote, God, they are cute. <laughs> it's just and Cooper so has, like, such innocent. a straight posture when he walks in, like, mm-hmm. you know, I thought at first it was like, oh, because he's back in the FBI jacket, and then I was like, oh, no, it's because of Annie, of course. Of course. <laughs> he's excited to talk to her. Yeah. Uh, but she goes off to prepare his order. And then Shelly comes up to the register to put in some tickets. She starts to recite the poem that Wyndham sent her, Donna and Audrey, and it immediately catches Coop's attention. Um, <laughs> very concerned, he asks Shelly for the poem. Oh, it's just this anonymous poem someone sent me. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote down that she seemed so unbothered by his like, <laughs> his like alertness of it. And like, he is an FBI agent who is concerned <laughs> with an anonymous poem you got, and you know there's a killer around. Why are you so like, okay, here you go? <laughs> I mean, well, I guess they would know that there's a killer around. Somebody's dead already, right? Yeah, that, they found that guy at the police station. Right, right, right. I'm sure it's been written about in the paper. <sighs> True. Well, Shelly does work at the diner, so she would probably know. But I can see her not paying attention to what's going on in the world yeah, around her. Clearly. To a <laughs> uh, Shelly. I want to go to the double R. So do I. <laughs> I was thinking this episode, I was like, I really want to go to like a classic diner and get some cherry pie. Yeah. I don't know if you were just about to say it because they, Shelly and Annie share a look and walk away. But like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it just feels like it's such a happy place. I want to go and I want to eat all your pie. Yes. I want to hang out. <laughs> hang out with the locals. <laughs> I love that place. At the station, Harry is reciting the piece of the poem sent to Shelley, and Coop informs him that all three girls were sent the poem by Wyndham. To find out the true meaning of the poem, it was sent. It was one that Coop sent Caroline. Mm. So. I'm cur- I really would love a, like a Twin Peaks prequel where we're looking at <laughs> right. Cooper and Wyndham in the early days. We could recast or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to know, like, I just want some, like, things for us to kind of be like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, wow. Because I'm so curious, like, did Cooper, like, steal Caroline away? Was he, like, courting mm. her? Because if he's sending her poems, that's a lot for someone who's married to your partner. <laughs> yeah. And then I was rethinking about the poem itself. And thinking, I don't, I don't, 
personally don't think it's a very good poem. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's not a very memorable one because I kind of uh I don't really it remember. It makes me think of incest, it. and it feels very like you gotta kiss me, woman. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Of course. <laughs> well, it was written by Mary Shelley's brother, so it's an old poem. Husband. Oh, it was written by her husband. Mm-hmm. Percy Shelley. Oh. I don't know why I was like, it's her brother. <laughs> <laughs> because he's talking about sisters and brothers. Ugh. <laughs> Grosso. I mean, I don't know that. That's what it's about. Probably not, obviously, but that's just what it's, I think of when I hear it. It's very, yeah, it's implicating some things. I feel like there's something weird about Percy Shelley. I just can't remember. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, I feel like everyone at that time, I was like, there's always one thing that's like really weird that's hidden that we found out. <laughs> Especially everyone that particular gang of poets from that mm-hmm. time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry, I am. I feel like whatever no, you narrate or whatever you do the recap, I just. Um, derail us consistently <laughs> no I, I like the tangents we go on they're funny and i learned some stuff i learned that <laughs> that's her husband not her brother <laughs> there you go <laughs> but hawk comes in with donna's part of the poem and says audrey's in seattle and be back tomorrow with hers but also briggs in the conference room waiting for them and as he goes to leave coop asks him to bring leo's file so coop's gears are already ticking he knows everything Seriously. Thank God they finally know about this anonymous letter. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, eh, it's a little late. But also, <laughs> the girl sh- should have brought it to the police, in my opinion. I, I don't mean, understand. come on. Ay, ay, ay. Donna, how much How much do we have to? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Your friend or was Audrey, murdered. Or <laughs> Audrey, it's Cooper. If you're going to, I mean, it's the best excuse to talk to him. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, who knows? But... In the conference room, we see Andy's redrawing the petroglyph from Owl Cave. And as he's recreating one of the pieces, Brig lets him know that the line should be going downwards, not across. <laughs> Clearly, he knows more than they know about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Cooper comes in and says that they need his help and that he believes all of their current investigations are connected. He doesn't know how, but they are because he can feel it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always trust your gut. <sighs> He then asks the Major about Wyndham's connection with Project Blue Book, and after some back and forth, it seems the Major is down to help them. Mm. He then asks if the drawing on the blackboard is a copy of the petroglyph from Owl Cave, because he's dreamed of it or has seen it somewhere before. How does no one know about this? I feel like everyone knows about it, but nobody's ever thought about it? Or like, it's so weird. Like, talked about it? (laughs) They act as if, oh, yeah, everybody knows about Owl Cave and the petroglyphs down there. But, like, and the Major's dreamt about it, but he's never made the connection to Owl Cave and been like, hey, guys, or whatever. What does he work for? Air Force? Let's go down to this cave. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm going to be forever stuck on the fact that we know owls are a symbol of something. And there is a whole (laughs) cave named Owl Cave. And we have just found out about it. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. I don't know. It just feels like all the caves that I've ever been in are full of graffiti and beer bottles. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> feels unlikely. <laughs> uh, Unless they're like a national park. Yeah. Well, maybe even that sometimes. <laughs> Very true. We went in one in North Carolina that was both. Full of graffiti. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did see the Jupiter symbol on the petroglyphs. Um, I have to look after that. I have to look. I'm gonna also get a, just find a picture of it and then kind of look at it to see like what do yeah. I know from it because yeah, they move too fast for me. Yeah. Um, but then next we see a cutaway to a, like an all white backdrop and there's like a hooded figure who's kind of like has the petroglyph projected onto them. And then we fade into the night sky and we see an owl come in and then a ball of flames. <laughs> then we go back to reality. <laughs> yes. Clearly, there's a lot tied to this petroglyph that concerns the mysticism of Twin Peaks. That was so crazy. I feel like I wrote something down about that, but it's not showing up here. But what it was, was it about? really interesting. It was a really crazy, like transitional shot or whatever it was. But yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> it was, yeah, especially because like, I thought I was like, oh, like that was kind of like the end of that scene. But then we come back to the same scene and then we finished it. It's such a mm. very interesting, but clearly fire owls. I wonder if that was part of the major's dream we were seeing. Oh, yeah, yeah, could be. Maybe. Hmm. We already know he has pretty interesting things going on. Yeah. I mean, he's got the tattoos. <laughs> and <Right>. he was abducted. <laughs> exactly. So Hawk then comes in with Leo's report and Coop starts to analyze it with a poem. And he was right. Leo wrote the poem for Wyndham. He's an expert in handwriting analysis as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's the smartest. <laughs> All right. At the Great Northern, we see Dick, but he has a bandaged nose and he's waiting for Ben in the lobby. They're having a wine tasting event and Audrey is nowhere to be found. But Ben lets him know she's in Seattle and that the concierge should be able to help him. And he, he keeps using capital. <laughs> it's like, I've never heard this phrase, but it's very funny. <laughs> capital, capital. Capital. Such a rich old British man thing to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I mean, in my the, imagination, or what I've seen of British television. And yeah, things. <laughs> and definitely the most Dick Tremaine thing to say. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Ben asked Dick about his nose. How's it doing? And he says they'll pay any medical bills. And Dick also brings the possibility of maybe including workers' comp into that. And workers' comp pays for your medical bills, dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what you're expecting. When they were like, but workers' comp. And I'm like, that's like downgrading from what Ben was just offering you. But whatever. <laughs> exactly. But um, Ben seems to begrudgingly agree. <laughs> <laughs> he has to bite onto the, he has to start eating a carrot to bring him back. Yeah. And he's wearing this shirt that looks like a popcorn bag. And this crazy red and green yeah. tie. <laughs> I was like, what is, is happening? <laughs> he is a very colorful in his clothing this episode. Very. So we go back to the abandoned milk cottage and we see the bikers in some sort of paper mache contraption that Wyndham has built. <laughs> he asks Wyndham how he's supposed to get out of it. And Wyndham informs him that he won't be getting out of it. Yeah. And then he starts to grab a crossbow and begins to set it and ask Leo for an arrow. The tiniest crossbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you could just like, you know, put it around your arm and just kick it back with your foot. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's the kind of crossbow I want. Just like a little baby one. A little tiny <laughs> one. <laughs> and then I wrote, Leo is definitely in the big leagues of villains now and clearly doesn't like being there himself. No. Well, I mean, he's more like the victim at this point <laughs> yeah well he's been sort of downgraded to like henchman status even if it's forced and yeah definitely 
not a great place to be. But he seems to refuse to get the arrow, shaking his head, and then when him shocks him, mm. which quickly, what's the word I'm looking for? Persuades him to hand him the arrow. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, yeah, I was feeling kind of sorry for Leo in that scene. Yeah, that's like a, he clearly just is like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But sorry. Maybe if you didn't go on a crazy rant against Shelly and try and kill her again. Yeah, maybe the writers wouldn't feel the need. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But then Wyndham goes on some rant about the afterlife and what happens to your spirit and says that the biker is lucky because he now has the answer and then shoots him with the arrow, killing him instantly. <laughs> it's actually kind of a hilarious death. Because <laughs> it, <is. laughs> it shoots into the paper mache and it's like, that tiny little crossbow with that tiny little arrow and that right. paper mache That thing. thick fucking paper mache. And he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it was to me? I was like, now that we know that that's Sam Raimi's brother, I was like, there's very much an evil dead death. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> the crazy face, the like very thin blood. It's very funny to me. <laughs> uh, but poor unnamed biker. I think he probably, well... I don't know he probably did have a name that was given to him, and I just don't know it. Uh, yeah, I only <laughs> said his real name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I couldn't remember what it was called, but where I'm assuming where we are next, where they're kind of doing the Miss Twin Peaks stuff, the committee, is the bar that they always go to, right? Yeah, the... Um, um, the Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Yeah. I just remembered it. <laughs> it was like, it's not the watering hole. It's not something else. Yeah. It's so weird. But, because the like the very first episode, they have a town assembly where they're all yeah. like the mayor is there and the log lady is switching the lights on and off or whatever. And it seems like, you know, an assembly space. And since that time, we've had judicial happenings happen at the roadhouse. We've had now this pageant thing is happening at the roadhouse and it's like i guess this is the biggest space in town for this sort of thing that's not at the high school you know that maybe is open during the day because there's not gonna be anyone in there drinking but like it's gonna smell like a bar during the day which is not a good smell (laughs) cigarettes beer (laughs) spilled beer everywhere it's just funny to me yeah, it was very interesting. And then they're all like, but being Miss Twin Peaks means so much. It's like, yeah. look around you. <laughs> look where we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This scene was not my favorite, but I'll get into it. <laughs> but we see uh, the Miss Twin Peaks Judging and Rules Committee is meeting. And it's made up of Mayor Milford, Pete, and Doc Hayward. And I wrote that it's really weird that it's all like older men <laughs> i me too yes i was like it's very weird i love all of these men but of course mm-hmm. the committee is all old men of course <laughs> of course it is it's just it's still know. the world that we live in <laughs> yeah <laughs> still now but we couldn't get like norma or <laughs> donna's mom well, or something i think there might be a few like there might be uh, some additions at later points. <laughs> okay. Hopefully. But we learned that Ben is there to address the committee, clearly wanting to get something out of them. He proposes to them that the topic of the speeches this year should be how to save our forests. 
<laughs> Pete sees right through him and brings <laughs> up that is this because of the Ghostwood development and his opposition to it. Of course. But, you know, of course not. That's not what it's about. Um, but the committee says they'll take it under advisement. That's as good as any, I suppose. <laughs> as we learn, beauty contests apparently yeah. don't care about conflicts of interest. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, but as Ben leaves, he tells Bobby not to forget his dry cleaning, to which Bobby responds <laughs> with, thanks. And I wrote, he's so stupid. <laughs> the committee asks the first candidate to come up and address them, which of course is Lana. <laughs> Every of other course. contestant is very irritated <laughs> and clearly knows what's going on. She talks like she already came from the Southern pageant system herself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Her accent is, I was like, is it thicker this episode? <laughs> Is she really laying on the Southern charm? <laughs> She's probably hey. not from the South at all. I mean, it's not a real probably Southern not. accent, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we see Shelly's at a table with Bobby and Dada, and she starts to panic. She's clearly not a fan of public speaking, which I can relate to. And Donna seems like she's not there for the beauty contest at all. <laughs> no, she does not want to do it at all. But Bobby <laughs> tries to reassure her. And says that she'll be fine. He'll be her speechwriter. And that seems to do more damage <laughs> to her. <laughs> She's over him at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but luckily Donna's there to bring her back and says that she'll do great. And that seems to make her feel better. Sweet and I wrote, Donna I love this new friendship. I know. I love it. I do like that. <laughs> She's definitely Donna's type. Friendship voice. Yes. <laughs> very complicated. <laughs> very messy. <laughs> <laughs> but just as we're about to wrap up, one more contestant and her beau enter the room. It's Nadine and Mike. And she grabs an entry form and then goes to sit with her best friends, Donna and Shelly. <laughs> then Bobby, we do. Bobby gets up to talk to Mike and immediately insinuates that Mike and Nadine are practically an item at this point. That's where he's been all along. And he's like, Mike says it's not exactly what Bobby thinks. And we, you know, quickly learn that Mike is essentially just in it for the sex. I kind of love that their entire relationship is based on amazing sex because I yes. feel like Nadine knows this and is cool with it. And I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. And Mike kinda... is still somehow very supportive of her, even though he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's his yeah. motivating interest, but like. I don't know. It works. I feel like it works. <laughs> yeah, because I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell at first if, like, because you know, the towards the beginning of their kind of whatever you want to call it, their situationship, <laughs> when she was talking to Donna and stuff about it, it seemed like she had like romantic feelings and all this, like, kind of like you know, right? What's it called? Hopeless romantic stuff. And then now all it seems to them is like. We got to have sex wherever, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, as long well, as she's not going to be hurt by this. She's also seen from the beginning, like, I'm in my dating years. I'm just going right. to, you know, have fun and party. <laughs> and obviously they're having amazing sex. And I don't know, even though Mike is like, no, no. But he still, like, seems totally satisfied and smiles. He doesn't feel like I'm embarrassed by this at all. Like, no. dude, he whatever. Goes with I'm happy everywhere. where I am. <laughs> 
Right. He goes everywhere with her. So clearly it's not like a, a shame thing. So yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Back at the Martell residence, Harry is meeting with Catherine and asking for some clarification on Josie. And she doesn't seem to really know the true Josie and says that probably nobody may have known the true Josie. I don't think Catherine's the best person to go to for insights on <laughs> Josie. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although the like the comment she makes about how, you know, considering everything she's done against her and her family, she can't really find the true, urge true. to like hate her. I was like, that to me felt a little bit sincere. Cause she didn't yeah. have to say that. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I don't um, think that she's trying to badmouth or anything, but I'm just like, I mean, of all the people, Catherine. We talk to Pete. <laughs> <laughs> talk to Pete. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. But she says there might be a clue in the box Eckert left her and tries to get Harry to open it. Oh. But Pete, go ahead. Before that is when he says something about like, of course you couldn't hate her. She's just so beautiful. Oh, I can't believe I didn't write that down. I <laughs> Both times she I gives heard him it. the same look I gave him, which was like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. We've already had like, this Are you stupid? <laughs> thought from Bobby in this episode. So Yeah, but it was like, it, it almost didn't make any sense because it was after this whole like thing about like, oh, like she had this probably this hard life in the beginning where she kind of had to like convince herself that these truths were true to her to survive. <laughs> and, you know, who knows if we knew the real her? And then he was like, yeah, but she was so beautiful of course you could never hate her okay (laughs) she gives him this look that i'm like and then she's like well you're a dumbass here take this box yeah (laughs) (laughs) she kind of like scoffs a little bit it's like "Uh, okay (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah but um pete comes in just as she's handing it over it says some line about having a lot of beauties in the contest this year, which is kind of <laughs> gross. And he but quickly gets distracted by the box. Uh, he goes to grab it from Harry and accidentally drops it. And this might be my favorite, <laughs> just <laughs> maybe like two second section of Twin Peaks where Catherine just yells at him, Butterfingers. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just quiet for like a second. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, I mean, if you have carpet, drop it a few more times. Yeah. <laughs> but as he goes to pick it up, he notices the box is opened. So he pulls out a smaller box with the faces of the moon on it and some symbols. And then he drops that one to see if it opens. But no luck. <laughs> That's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I just laughed out loud both times to batter fakers. Yeah. <laughs> Well, those symbols, not the moon phases, but the ones around it are all zodiac symbols, except for oh. one, m- maybe two. I couldn't tell. There was one that I was like, I think that's not. But then I, when I looked at it again, I was like, maybe it's the Pisces. But it's pretty much, they're not in order or anything, but they're just different zodiac symbols. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> interesting to see where this goes. But next we go to a lake where Annie and Coop are on their rowboat date. Very Jane Austen. Cooper still has his tie on all the way. (laughs) Always, always. He's very professional. Yes. But Annie says that she's always felt closer to nature than people and that she really didn't have many friends because Norma was always the popular one. And that Norma was moving towards the world while Annie moved away from it. I was like, like very sad. I'd be like 15 years older than her. (laughs) She does (laughs) seem like a good bit older than her. Who knows? 
But Coop asked if she's had a lot of boyfriends, to which she replies she had one senior year. And then he asked her if that's why she went to the convent, but she doesn't want to talk about it right now. Clearly, it's still very, very sensitive. Two minutes from now, maybe. But Yeah, <laughs> not right now, but maybe wait about a minute and a half and I will tell you everything. Because <laughs> she tells us that the scar on her wrist was because of that boy. Um, but Coop is very tender with her and talks about, you know, how he knows that some parts of the world can lead you down a dark path and blah, blah, blah. And then they kiss. And Aww. it's very sweet. And I wrote, is Coop perfect boyfriend material? Because he is. Yeah, definitely. He's perfect. <laughs> but <sighs> as they get out of the boat to leave, we see Wyndham is spying on them from afar. Except for binoculars. That. Except for that he brings evil forces into your life. Yeah. That's the only thing that makes him not perfect boyfriend material. <laughs> <laughs> so not necessarily his fault. <laughs> I was like, so idyllic. And yet... Someone shrouded in ominous music is spying on you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it goes from like ding 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 to wah wah wah. wah, wah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, it's Wyndham. He's yeah, always followed like, by ominous music. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is going to happen? That's bad. This man gets around. I don't know how he's following so many people and doing so many things all at the same time. <laughs> and getting so many disguises. Now he's a fisherman. <sighs> and this is one that I would think Coop would recognize him in. Exactly. He doesn't but seem to distracted. have any. Yeah. Well, he's in love. But Wyndham sees them kiss again and knows immediately who his next target is going to be. Oh, better leave Annie alone. Leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> uh, we go back to the Great Northern for the wine tasting event. A very and... memorable scene. <laughs> yeah, very memorable. Dick starts it off with a short speech about how it's to benefit the stop ghostwood development. And then he asks Lucy to help him pour the wine. And as she comes up, so does Lana. <laughs> Clearly making some moves of her own. Yeah. Well, does he ask Lana and Lucy or just? I only heard Lucy, but it, he could have asked Lana. I just totally missed it. Yeah. I was like, what is Lana's role in this whole thing? Maybe this is her way of trying to get in for the pageant. Or maybe she's just like, I recognize you as a person who's important. So I will start right. talking up to you or... Very Maybe Lucy he just Steel. is dressed nice. Yep. Very Lucy Steele. She's a Lucy Steele. We don't even have to sort her. Lana is Lucy Steele. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're a one of the same. Not Lucy Marin. <laughs> <laughs> but as the wine is poured, Dick goes to start the process of tasting when <laughs> Andy starts to immediately drink it and he <laughs> starts to yell at him to spit it out. <laughs> it's very funny. I was like, don't live up to your name, Dick. Yeah. Also weird <laughs> that much. the the bottles are lined up one through nine and he starts with nine. <laughs> I was like yeah. <laughs> weird you choice, but <laughs> I'm just gonna blame that on the prop department. <laughs> yeah. But he starts to taste it by saying they need to smell the wine and get the nose of it. Which unfortunately gets wine all over his bandages because he poured himself a hefty glass. Silly, silly dick. It's ridiculous. I ridiculous. called him a dumb dumb in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, but they move on to the tasting portion, and it seems like everyone has their own interpretation of his instructions. There's like one guy in the front who, like, when he says, like, swish it all around, he's like swinging his head around. 
I like it when he says, a big, boisterous gulp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as everyone spits out their wine, Andy swallows. I just wrote, oh, Andy. That's what you're supposed to do in a wine tasting. <laughs> You're there to drink the wine. <laughs> but uh, back to the double R, we see Gordon and Shelly talking in a booth. Super cute. I love Shelly during this scene. Me too. She seems so like transfixed by Gordon. Like she's just so interested in him. And you can definitely tell that she's like, she feels really good around him because he's so sweet to her. Yeah. And even when he's like, I really like you. And she kind of looks like, oh, well, <laughs> but she's still like, whatever. Because <laughs> she's pissed at Bobby. So maybe she's looking at Gordon even more like, you know yeah. what? Maybe I do want someone good in my life. <laughs> <laughs> she should. Uh, uh, Annie and Coop join them for some pie. And Shelly and Gordon. A double date. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. And Shelly and Gordon agreed to share their six pieces that they ordered, three each. (laughs) (laughs) And he asked her, he's like, is that okay? (laughs) I love it. I have access to this pie anytime I want it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, sure, why not? (laughs) God, let's go get some pie. I want some pie right now. (laughs) I got some crust in my freezer. Maybe I can make myself a pie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could i had trouble finding cherries the other day at the store so i don't know if it serves a s- specific kind of cherry season but i do want to try a cherry pie mm. yes mm. gordon then goes on to quote people from the funny girl uh, <laughs> <laughs> i saw that in the trivia section on imdb yes. <laughs> connections quoting funny girl <laughs> <laughs> i just love that song and i was like when he said people who need people are the luckiest people in the world it's like <laughs> ah, i love that song <laughs> but he tells shelly she's a miracle worker and a goddess sent from heaven and shelly says she's never been compared to a goddess before and gordon says she just doesn't not. know her own value which is so Aww. sweet I love it. <laughs> he's the sweetest. Gordon turns to Shelly and tells her he tells her he's leaving Twin Peaks and doesn't know when he'll be back, and that if he doesn't kiss her right now, he'll regret it. They go to kiss just as Bobby enters the double R and <laughs> catches them and screams, "Hey!" But Gordon tells him that it's just two people sharing a tender moment. I love it. Clearly, <laughs> does not know. <laughs> so good. But as Coop tries to tell him what's go really going on, Gordon tells Bobby to get another look because it's going to happen again. <laughs> and I wrote, it's get what Bobby look. deserves. Totally. I was like, maybe you should start appreciating her. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the wine tasting, another good scene. <laughs> we see Dick's nose bandage is now completely like a pinkish red color. <sighs> I've rolled yeah. my eyes so many times this episode. We need to do video versions of these. Yes. Just set up a GoPro right in front of us. <laughs> Can just have a little tick. How many times our eyes roll? Ding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot every time they roll their eyes. <laughs> but he asks um, the crowd what notes they tasted in the last wine. And Lucy says something woody. But unfortunately, there were no woody notes. So he moves on to Lana, who hits the nail right in the head with banana. <laughs> Andy also gets chocolate right, and Lucy is very annoyed that her answer was not right. Okay, this <laughs> this lie was very funny to me. She tells Dick that maybe they should just skip the wine and have a banana split. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I wrote yes. That taste is metaphoric acid, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was writing that for. <laughs> oh, it was 
when Lana said the banana, Dick was like, yes, that's the metaphoric acid. Oh, medic. Oh, whatever. Oh, he said metaphoric. Oh, that's why. Because instead of like metaphoric or something, metaphoric, he said metaphoric acid. And I was like, is this like a writer joke? Like, is this a pun within here buried within the dialogue? (laughs) (laughs) It's the metaphoric acid. (laughs) (laughs) So ridiculous. But as they go for another sip, Lana starts to sort of flirt with Dick, which annoys Lucy even more. And he asks Lucy for her thoughts on the wine, and she spits it on his face and says she's pregnant and she's not supposed to drink. Which made me laugh. When she spit it through her teeth like she was in a pool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm pregnant. I'm not supposed to drink wine. Lucy, I love you. (laughs) Me too. She's the best. In another part of the Great Northern, we see Coop is drinking a glass of milk by the fire. The men in this show love milk. Seriously. (laughs) It also was like such a 90s thing, like, drink milk. You want your bones strong. I forgot about that. Got milk campaign. But it was usually like for kids. So it's very funny that he just has his glass of milk. He's all bundled up by the fire. Yeah. (laughs) He's so funny. John slash Jack joins him with, I couldn't tell what it was because it was like, a very small glass, almost like a shot glass, but it looks like beer. It's so, some sort of alcohol. Yeah. Like so I just, whiskey. Something. Yeah, I just wrote Maybe. alcohol. <laughs> but he sits down and says, love is hell. And they go back and like, forth. Audrey's gone for one day in love is hell. <laughs> this is what I said. <laughs> I hate him so much. Ugh, him and Coop go back and forth about the Hindu interpretations of love. And how love brings out everything, including the pain. But I do like this scene. There's something so like, I don't even know what style it is. I want to say noir-ish, but I don't even know if it's noir. But there's something about it that I'm like, is this like a scene from Casablanca or something? (laughs) (laughs) What I like about it is like, it's kind of like a scene between two men who kind of have this like macho exterior having a very like intimate conversation about love. It's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, they're just talking about it and it's nice to see them talk about it. And they're both good guys, you know? Yeah. As far (laughs) as we know. (laughs) But still, I mean, come on, Jack, John, whatever your name is. Jack and John. One day, (laughs) one day. (laughs) Yeah. But he gets a telegram and seems very disappointed by it and tells the bellman who we're checking out. Did we know, still get like, telegrams in the 90s? <laughs> I was like, what year is this? You could have got it like a fax or something. Whatever. But I wrote... out. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, if this is about Audrey being away, I'll roll my eyes so hard. I swear. <laughs> I already have a million times in this scene. But I'm like, you're, you're so in love and yet you get this telegram and you're checking out? What? what? Explain the, yourself. <laughs> the telegram probably said, hey, I'll be another day. You've been away from her for two days. You can't calm oh, I don't down. Think, I don't think it has to do with Audrey. Mm. Just a little bit of a spoiler for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, either way, love is hell. You've been in love for like less than a week. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, next we go to the Hayward residence. And Donna and her parents are sitting down to dinner. I was thinking during this scene, looking back, like, where are the other two sisters? They're never around. <laughs> I wrote that too. Where are her sisters? <laughs> They're like never around anymore. Clearly, obviously, they probably were like maybe doing other filming stuff, but like 
<laughs> right. They're Where like, we you? don't need to pay to get the sisters because we don't care about them. What right. what can we imagine they're doing? They probably are like after school. Oh stuff. yeah. The youngest one's probably doing like piano lessons and I'm band sure practice. band practice. Maybe the middle sister is going to like a poetry slam or something. Maybe she's in a play. She's in rehearsals. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe they're I was both like... in a play. They're probably both in a play. Sure. Because they seem very close in age. That's true. I was I was thinking back on her black turtleneck, the middle sister, and I was like, what is a very black turtleneck thing in theater or poetry? <laughs> it's funny because they're not there, but yet it kind of looks like the whole family got dressed up for dinner. Like they're the yeah. kind of family that gets dressed up for dinner, even if there's only three out of the five. <laughs> yeah. <there. laughs> yeah, that's very foreign to me. I'm like, I'm going to wear a t-shirt dinner because I'm at home and I'm comfortable. <laughs> they're such a, a specific kind of family. Yeah. Like I knew people like that, but... It's they like seem the very old school. Like, I don't trust that you're like this at all. This is a facade you're putting on for me. <laughs> no, no, no. They're very waspy. Very waspy. Yes, yes. But Sorry, uh, do, are, no, are you're you fine. Before we start the scene. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Because I'm glad we had the same thought. <laughs> but uh, Donna questions her mom about how she knows Ben, but gets the same excuses that her dad gave. And her parents are not good liars, like at all. Very horrible. Donna is pissed. She's like, I will not be lied to. I yeah. <laughs> will not be lied to. <laughs> I almost couldn't tell, like, was she mad about the lying in general? Or was she mad that the lies were just so terrible? <laughs> They're just not good lies. I think both. I think both. Probably both. <laughs> <laughs> she slowly starts to reveal her cards. And she says that it must have been the chariot sent her the roses. And her mom nervously asked for the peas again. I don't know if you <laughs> caught that, but she was like, Asked for the peas at the beginning and then put them back. Yeah. And she was like, can you pass the peas? I wrote, Eileen really likes peas. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually like, written up as a goof on IMDb. And I was like, I don't know that it wasn't a purposeful choice to have yeah, her I, twice ask for the peas. Yeah, I almost, it almost came off to me like she was like really nervous and was like, I need to yes. ask the peas. Exactly, exactly. And I was like, how many peas is she able to play right now? <laughs> She's like, more, more. Peas are my enemy food, so. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. They're like the one vegetable I can never seem to like. At least the kind they are eating. Yeah. No, thank you. But they talk about the Miss Twin Peaks pageant and how Donna can use them. She can use the money to study overseas. And she's she's, like, I'm getting the fuck out of this town. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting away from you two liars. I hate my life and I hate my parents. <laughs> yeah, it was very much that. But it was also really funny to see her parents' reaction to that. Like they both like the minute they heard overseas, they were like, oh, oh my God. As if studying abroad was not a thing. I know. I'm really thinking of them in a new light. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're also like, they seem like um like older parents. They probably well, had I'm, Donna later in life. Yeah. They're definitely in the wealthy sector yeah. of Twin Peaks. Not that Twin Peaks is all wealthy, wealthy. I mean, there's Ben Horn and Ke the Martells, but That's pretty they're definitely it. in the upper. Because he's <laughs> yeah. the doctor in town. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He seems to do general practice and also deliver babies. And <laughs> Works at the hospital. <laughs> he's also the, uh, oh, what's it called? The, the um, medical examiner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, yay. But, this is where I wrote it. Oh, the, the fade out where we get the guy, the black the figure. Yeah, I didn't make the connection to Major Briggs's 
dream or whatever earlier in the episode. Yeah, I, wrote, I was like Moon Knight promo transition. <laughs> <laughs> it really was because it was like, let's focus on the face of the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and a, person, a blacked out person in a hood or whatever. Yes. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, am I watching Moon Knight? <laughs> but I'm but just was now like, making the connection between Major Briggs. So well, I was like wondering, like, what is what is the purpose of putting that transition in this scene because earlier it made sense because we're talking about the petroglyph we're talking about like this mystical side of some peaks i think a mysterious person by moonlight is doing something nefarious which we will see in the next mm. scene yeah i also wondering was wondering if like it has to do with major briggs yeah well i was also wondering like this you know we know that kind of Bob feeds on like anger and kind of chaos and all that other stuff, like all the bad stuff basically. And this scene was like kind of full of bad energy and anger. And so I was mm-hmm. like, is it just like a symbol that like, I don't know, cause Bob's clearly not possessing Donna, but is he like watching mm-hmm. and being like, I don't even have to be there. It's falling apart by itself. Maybe, I don't know. maybe, maybe. Very interesting. But the final scene, a very crazy scene. Very good, son. Show up to the park where Coop and uh, I said Coop and Donna, Coop <laughs> and Annie had their date, um, and it's all roped off. And we see a large box was left in the gazebo, and they're worried it's a bomb, but they set up a system to open it from afar. <laughs> Andy's like, "Is it Andy who's there first? Who's the one investigating it first? Harry? I think Harry's and like, Andy are it's there. not ticking." <laughs> Like, well, it's not ticking, so it's going to be a bomb. <laughs> yeah, well, he said, like, it's not There's ticking. No metal. And yeah. And he used his ticking. metal detector. <laughs> That's so funny. It's like, it could I be do a think Coop is like, well, it could be plastic explosives or something, you know. Right. But it's just so funny that their logic is, there's no metal and there's no ticking. Right. So <laughs> it's not from Acme, Inc., so it must not be a bomb. <laughs> Oh, you guys. But they set up their own little system to keep themselves safe. They tie some caution tape around a rock and tie it around the pulley. And then Coop apparently is a sharpshooter. Yeah, Yeah. well, of course. Of course. course. And shoots the rock from afar. (laughs) And as it flies off, it reveals the giant chest pod. And inside (laughs) is the dead biker. And when we and then, zoom at them, like the car or whatever, with all of them mm-hmm. hiding behind it, I was like, who is Andy telling to get back? There are some other people later, but at, at first I was like, he's like, get Who's back. And I was like, what are you, who are you talking to? There's not like people milling around. <laughs> <laughs> it could be very much that they were already like way back and he was just yeah. being Andy and being silly. I just have to pick at it this episode. Yes, it's very funny, though, because I did notice that. I was like, who is he telling? (laughs) After it's revealed, we see a little sign tied around the palm that said, next time it will be someone you know. Creepy. (laughs) Better not be Annie, or I'll lose it. And that's all I have to say. All right. What was your favorite part? (laughs) Oh, gosh. So there's so many good parts in this episode. I know. I feel like I just said my favorite part and I've already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to say my favorite part is 
Butterfingers. It is so funny to me. I don't know why. Because <laughs> it's just like she doesn't say like, "Oh, you butterfingers" or whatever. She just says it super loud. <laughs> butterfingers. Oh, I love Pete. This episode was very heavy on the "I love Pete" sentiment from me. Me too. He's the best. What was my favorite? I mean, was it Gordon and Shelly being together? Was it uh, Nadine and Mike? Was it... Coop and Annie. Was it Coop and Annie? Honestly, I liked that scene even more so now that I, you know, kind of performed it in my own way. Mm-hmm. But I have to be honest. <laughs> I love Heather Graham. There's something so just like, meh, about her character. Like, she's just... yeah. So for being someone who tried to commit suicide, went to a convent, had so much, you know, either self-imposed or real trauma in her life, she just seems so like, well, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She seems very nonchalant about it a little bit. But I still still do like her. And but what's my favorite? I don't even know. Probably, probably the Gordon Cole Shelley scene is my favorite because I like the it's way so Shelley is like building to being pissed at Bobby the whole episode and how Bobby just gets put in his place and he's being such a little brat. For yeah, you know, he. I mean, he's always such a brat, but like especially in this episode, he's just being such a brat and. Yeah, I really like this one. It really, I mean, besides like Margaret, the log lady, we really, I feel like, had almost the whole cast in this episode. Audrey wasn't in it. Yeah. But yeah. Those might have been the only two. And it's also so sad that like this is the last one before they're like, oh, and it's canceled. It's like, but that was such a good one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I'm like, it's just getting so good. Like, let it get good. Write down the numbers of like how many people tuned in. I bet I can look it up. Seven point nine million, which is ooh, like the previous episode was nine point two. The previous two episodes were um, nine point two. But you know, I guess at the very beginning it was doing like double digit, like nineteen million, fourteen million, thirteen million, and so. At the time, they were like, oh, it's down to nine. And then <laughs> oh, that, one was, that one was seven in the seven, seven, did I say 7.2 or 7.9? No, 7. Mm-hmm. Point. Something like that. Seven, seven something. But still. Depressing. That's a lot of people. <sighs> Whatever. I don't think, personally, if then is any indication of now. It's early May. We just went through late April. And I was, still am kind of in like such a... I'm not interested in any television right now because it's like spring is back. People are like, let's go outside. I don't want to watch TV. So it seems like the natural span of television would be to like kind of dip off in this time period. So it seems like an excuse to me is all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, if the trends are the same sort of today with time that they are back then, like, you know, we're about to get a bunch of new like new shows or new seasons of shows at the end of this month. So it's like really like the beginning of summer almost is kind of when we start to see that pickup back on yeah. TV. So yeah, they should yeah. have probably just gave it some more time. Whatever. They should have. It's, it's such a weird Twin Peaks, the entire, the mania that came over people for it, the <laughs> quick decline in 
you know, people's perception of it and the studio's perception of it. Just, it's just so interesting, you know? Yeah. I always find from this perspective, you know, 30 years <laughs> in the future, <laughs> I always find these kinds of things to be so interesting, like, just like as a historical record of like how TV is made and <laughs> how it changes and how collectively a studio or whatever a group of people decide this is good or isn't or we want to keep trying or not and i don't know it feels like it's very something i'm thinking about now because of netflix is weird like oh we're not mm. making enough money now or we don't have enough subscribers so we're just and they have a tendency to cancel everything after a certain point and it's like it's just weird i don't know <laughs> yeah well from what i've heard about especially about netflix it's like I think it's a lot of the same issues you had back then where it was like certain men in charge who were like, I'm going to make the final decision and I'm going to push out people who have good ideas. Maybe don't get heard because there was a female executive at Netflix who got pushed out, even though she sort of helped build Netflix from mm, the I bottom up. Yeah. Yeah. And she definitely advise them to not do certain programming because it would not end well for them and they did it anyways and well here we are so well, <sighs> and i know. think this sentiment will work for our particular demographic because when i look we have like 80 percent women who listen to this <laughs> yep <laughs> but my personal sentiment is and especially right now who needs all the men let's get rid of them <laughs> <laughs> i agree i love specific ones but <laughs> as a whole i'm over them <laughs> as a whole silence please revolution <laughs> i agree i like to believe that david lynch might agree too but <laughs> oh for sure i'm sure he does he's a very oh, sensible I'm... person who loves women so i exactly kind of be the time to be like sure Women, take over. I'm cool with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's anyway. That's all I had to say for my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. <sighs> all right. Well, let's do the deep dive. Let's do it. I was adding people to our list of people we haven't done yet who should have been done. And I was like, I never did James or put him on the list of people we haven't done yet. Oh. I think that's saying something about me. <laughs> but it's too late now because he's gone and we'll have to get to him because he comes back later. So, but I picked two people because we're getting near the end and we're going to run out of time to talk about some of these people. Well, I was looking over my list of people we haven't done with the little stars next to the people who are going to be not really give us that much of a chance after this season right and i picked two who were very much in this episode oh. <laughs> i have richard tremaine uh-huh aka dick <laughs> and <laughs> and garland briggs aka major <laughs> oh this is a tough one well, we're doing both of them. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> we're going to run, uh, run out of opportunities to do some of these people. So I figure we're yeah. going to have to do two. Let's do both. And we'll just do the card. And if we disagree with the astrology, we will change it. 
Okay. But let's start off with what he has written about himself, his accomplishments. Also, these cards definitely must have come out in the middle of like season two because there is no Wyndham Earl on this deck. Hmm. But Jean Renault is in there. Yeah, he's so. been dead for a while. So. <laughs> um. Okay. Accomplishments. As the head buyer of men's fashions at Horn's department store. First of all, how does the town of Twin Peaks support a department store? <laughs> I bring the latest European vogue to an otherwise drab and dull Northwest fashion scene. <laughs> I feel like you make use of the Northwest fashion in all of your fashion. Mm. Like he always seems to be embracing the flannel and the jeans of it all. It does. And... <laughs> I mean, I know that he's a little bit like delusional because he's Dick Tremaine, but <laughs> I would just ask him and say, why are you reading European Vogue and then <laughs> hating on the Northwestern American fashion if you live in the Northwest? Isn't that who's going to be buying? I think Dick Tremaine's <laughs> problem is he needs to open his own fashion line that he sells at Horn's department store because yeah. he's got a good fashion sense with yeah, he's always well taking put the northwest aesthetic and turning it into fashion i think i think he could be very successful okay strengths i am an impeccable dresser superb <laughs> dancer and qualified clothier and a smoker <laughs> that is not a strength maybe in the no. 90s it was <laughs> i think a lot of health insurance companies would consider that a weakness <laughs> I'm going to say when I was a smoker, I probably would have considered it a strength <laughs> at this point. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but I haven't gotten to see this superb dancing, which I would appreciate. No. I would love a dancing scene. Another Jane Austen influence on, Dan on David Lynch. Definitely. And weaknesses. It's so hard to express negative thoughts about oneself. <laughs> <laughs> How did I know? Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right, so I'll just say his likes are ascots and English tea. Mm -hmm. He went to Eton College, the best, of course, in England, and played by Ian Buchanan. But his birthday is March 23rd, 1960, so that would make him an Aries. Oh. I see him more as a Libra, personally, because he seems very concerned with how things look and aesthetics. But... I could maybe see him as an Aries. I don't know. Aries just, he doesn't seem like the, um, obviously, I don't know. Yeah, because like I would associate, if he was an Aries, he seems so comfortable just being the buyer of men's fashions at Horn's department store. He doesn't seem like he has any ambitions to like go farther up the chain or go yeah. higher. Like he seems very content with himself right. at this point. And it doesn't seem like a very Aries thing to do. If he was starting his own fashion line, yes, Aries. Yeah, yes. But I do like Libra. at this point, he seems kind of Libra-ish to me. Just because yeah. Libra is ruled by Venus, it's very concerned with how things appear, appearances, mm -hmm. maybe a little superficial. <laughs> <laughs> a little. <laughs> yeah. D&D. Um, I want to say he's like lawful neutral or lawful evil. I feel like he's not chaotic so much as just like yeah. on the other end, he's on the bad scale. You know, like he's not yeah. inherently a good person. 
He's a selfish person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I would say just solely based on the fact before the little Nikki stuff kind of got out of control when he was just the beginnings of little Nikki, I would give him maybe a lawful neutral just because he like seems like he wants to do the right thing at some point. But most of the time, it tends to be very self-centered. Yeah. And I feel like that selfishness could definitely move into the evil category without ever being oh, like, yeah. I want to do harm. Just like, I'm so selfish. I don't care about anybody else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, he's the most Jane Austen character, perhaps, in Twin oh, Peaks. <laughs> yeah. He's a Mr. Not Elliot. a good Jane Austen character. <laughs> <laughs> no. But we've seen his type before. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, the selfishness alone kind of puts him in the Lucy category as well. <laughs> him and Ugh. Lana make a good team, honestly. <laughs> yep. Maybe they should or be. Or the Mr. Elliot. He could be like a Mr. Elliot for sure. Yeah. I definitely he's see totally him as a Mr. selfish. He's not a Willoughby because he's not passionate, you know? Yeah. He's more of a little like, meh, meh. <laughs> yeah. He seems to like not really care about a lot of other things that are not tied to him yeah and i don't think he's a reader no so i don't think he has a favorite jane austen per se no i think when he went to eat in college he definitely told people that he read jane austen yes um, he'll say pride and prejudice just because he knows the name of that one exactly and then he'll <laughs> he'll go on some diatribe about like i know it's the most famous one but yeah but he'd probably be more like a Mansfield Park and he'd really relate to the Bertrams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Garland Briggs. Accomplishments. My first contact with aviation came at the age of eight when I flew a twin jet plane solo. Whoa. <laughs> wow. That's a very That's big accomplishment. <laughs> Now I want to hear a Garland Briggs backstory of like his childhood. So make a Twin Peaks prequel of like all the characters' yeah. childhoods. Twin Peaks origins. <laughs> Drinks. I'm good at keeping secrets, speed reading, and birthday surprises. <laughs> birthday surprises, you say? Hmm. That's funny. And speed reading. Gotta read those files, those alien files. I guess he has to do a lot of looking through numbers to see if any messages come from outer space. <laughs> uh, that's true. I forgot about that. Weaknesses. I didn't listen to my own intelligence. The owls are not what they seem. <laughs> you didn't know about Owl Cave. That's a pretty big weakness. <laughs> okay, birth date. Oh, no, no. Let's first do likes. Fly fishing, mm -hmm. which okay. makes me think him and Pete must be besties, even though we never see them interact. <laughs> They're besties on the river, and otherwise they don't acknowledge each other. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things where Pete is just a little too talkative when they're fly fishing and he's like, you're going to scare the fish. Please stop talking. I don't know. I feel like they have great conversations, but they probably never see each other outside of being there. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Or maybe they just really enjoy, like, they're, like, so far apart from each other because they have to have give each other room to fish. But they just sit mm. there, like, far enough apart they can't talk to each other, but companionably knowledge. <laughs> next to each other. <laughs> Education. He went to Boys High School in New York City. Whatever that is. Boys. And Virginia Military Institute, uh, played by Don Davis. 
And his birth date is January 3rd, 1938, which makes him a Capricorn, which seems Mm. about right. Either a Capricorn or Aquarius is probably what I would say for him. Yeah, I like Capricorn. That makes sense. I might say Aquarius just because he seems more like intellectual. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like a Capricorn would be more likely to be like, well, I don't know. Maybe to me, a Capricorn would be more likely to say I can keep my secrets because... I compartmentalize and the military says and you know so like whatever but an Aquarius would be more likely to like think about you know maybe go higher in ranks because they're more of a like putting the pieces together but like Mm. also maybe questions a little bit more like should we keep this a secret which kind of puts him into that category for me yeah yeah like one month later (laughs) (laughs) so it's like super close so yeah he can always have by Saturn yeah, he could always have a little bit of Capricorn in his chart, but be an Aquarius. Definitely. Could be both. Aquarius rising, Capricorn sun, or something like that. Maybe he's cusp. Maybe. Maybe. Not according Arca. to this card, but. <laughs> maybe in our own interpretation. Exactly. <laughs> Lawful good. Yeah. I feel like that's a, the easiest <laughs> one. <laughs> Not even a question. And I do feel like he would maybe have a sped red. There's all the Jane Austen while he was like mm-hmm. on a stakeout or I don't know, not a stakeout, but like some some sort of like watch alien watch or something. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I'm like picturing him loving pride, uh, not pride, just <laughs> sense of sensibility. I could see that. Yeah. Because I could totally see him enjoying that struggle of sense or sensibility or both. Like what is better? Yeah. Well, and I was thinking because. I was originally thinking Emma because I could just see him like Mm -hmm. liking the humor. And I feel like Emma and Sense and Sensibility are two of the funnier ones. Like, yes, that you just like kind of sit back and chuckle as you're like, I can see him reading both of those like several times while he's having to be quiet and wait. (laughs) Yeah, there's enough seriousness in his life. He can he can like the more comedic books. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, (laughs) that's it. Yeah. Final thoughts? Uh, I mean, we've only got three episodes left, and I'm like, I'm so, <laughs> I know, it's very sad, but I'm so interested to see where we're going to go because this petroglyph and all this mysterious hooded figure with the owl and the ball of flames. And yeah, I don't know. It's getting pretty serious. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to watch the final couple episodes. I'm sad to be getting to the end of Twin Peaks, but I'm also kind of excited to be getting to the end of Twin Peaks because it's not like going to be there hanging over our head and we can really explore some other crazy stuff. And there's so much more Twin Peaks to get to. But like, you know, we get into like Twin Peaks mode and it feels like we've got to keep going on Twin Peaks until we get to like a stopping point and we're almost there. But this one was such a great episode. It was. I feel like so many of the storylines I love are like kind of just... I mean, all my all the characters are like a peak form, and I don't know. I don't yeah. find it tedious or anything, or anybody to be acting out of character. And no, I I think it's really great that in all the serious kind of sinisterness of this episode, and like kind of what's going around at this time in Twin Peaks, it's nice that we have like a lot of happy people, like a lot of happy things going on. Yeah. Very awesome. Very sweet. Yeah. 
I guess all that's left is recommendations. Recommendations. Do you have one? Yes. Because I wanted to recommend Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> we already it's just so talked good. about it a little bit. I loved it. I after I couldn't see it for the first weekend until like Monday. And so I stayed away from anybody talking about it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I had such fun watching it. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, is this my favorite one? I was only That's two hours thought. long. It kept moving so fast. It had very Sam Raimi elements, but definitely still felt yes. Marvel. It had like a whole new concepts to explore. I really thought it was fun. And I can't wait to watch it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I will say, and this is like no... You know, I'm not poo-pooing on any of the other films at all, but I would say out of all of them, this is the one that I was like quickest to say, when am I going to rewatch this? Because it was so, it was just so fun and so eventful. And it really, because it's a Sam Raimi film, it really invoked a lot of like his elements of Evil Dead and stuff. And I was just like, now I want to watch Evil Dead. (laughs) Yeah. And I've just been enjoying this whole phase because it doesn't feel like we're building up to some inevitable thing. I mean, I'm sure we are, but it doesn't feel like it. It's like, oh, we get to really explore all these crazy, weird nuances and, you know, really enjoy the art form of comics through through movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, like, see a lot of new characters and new sides of people that make them more interesting and things that, you know that are not just like baseline what we already know about like Spider-Man or all these characters. Like we're really getting in deep. And I think that's really fun. And all I'm going to say about the credit scene, because I'm not going to give anything away, (laughs) but I don't know how they kept it a secret. And it makes me even more excited to see what's going to (laughs) come. Oh, a hundred percent. So much of the movie. I was like, Thank God I stayed off of social media, but how did I not know this stuff? I am one yeah. to watch like all of the YouTube speculations and stuff like that. So Yeah. It's crazy. it makes me really excited to read those, but I really liked it. It's a good one. <laughs> I can't wait to see it again. Me too. All right. Well, my recommendation is also gonna be a movie. It's going to be a Hitchcock movie that I had never seen before until Tuesday, North by Northwest. <gasps> I love that one. I know. I love it. It's It was so, so good. Cary Grant is amazing. Uh, and so was even, I think it's her name's Eva Marie Saint, who played kind of like, you uh-huh. know, the heroine slash villainess or slash Hitchcockian woman of the film. But uh-huh. she was so good. And I loved her character, how like bold she was. <laughs> and now she was just this, it was just a really interesting story. Very, very fun. And yeah. I just loved it. I loved it so much. That is either my favorite or second favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie I've seen. I haven't seen them all, but like for the longest time, it's been on the top of my list because I rem- I can remember seeing it so long ago, um, like as a kid and just being like, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's got so much of everything. I was like reading up a little bit on it and it was like, you know, this was kind of like the precursor to Bond films because there was like spies and this oh, like I never villains, villains with charm and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, I, and I love those kind of movies. So it was just so good. And it's my second Hitchcock film I've seen. The first one was Rear Window, which, which I also we watched really for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm excited to see the rest of them. But yeah, I would say go watch a Hitchcock film if you haven't. I recently bought on iTunes. They were having like a sale on a Hitchcock collection and got a whole bunch of them. Some of them I haven't, a lot of them I haven't seen before. But there's a lot of like earlier ones like The 39 Steps and The Vanishing Woman and Mm -hmm. Marnie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were going through like the, the... Rolodex on Apple TV and I was like I've never even heard of a bunch of these but sure they're all great because <laughs> he's amazing I also love the birds North by Northwest and the birds are my two favorite Hitchcocks <laughs> I really want to watch the birds that was kind of like one of my choices on Tuesday but I ended up going with North by Northwest but the birds is next on the list I've always find found birds slightly terrifying and that just solidified it for me (laughs) (laughs) they're smaller dinosaurs (laughs) my sister has chickens and no they sound like dinosaurs i mean there's crows i have some crazy birds out here and they meat eating birds (laughs) 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 they sound like dinosaurs they're they're smarter than we think that's or maybe dinosaurs sound like birds because they've just uh you know used them as they're in movies (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, but yeah, watch Whatever. a Hitchcock film. <laughs> it's so good. All right. So this is probably going to be our last episode before we do a check-in, I believe will be the next episode. Uh-huh. Unless we talk to Kristen for a really long time about Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> and then we might just have a bonus Sense and Sensibility wrap-up episode. So yeah, come back. If you're not listening to the Jane Austen episodes, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was really fun to do Sense and Sensibility, the book. Um, the books are always a lot of fun. And it's really funny. Yeah. So yeah. give it a shot. We started off the podcast being like, we want to make them all separate so that you can listen to just one or the other, but not like, come on, we're combining it. <laughs> Crossover. <laughs> crossover and if you would like to get in touch with us before that episode so you can you know tell us or ask us questions or tell us what you've thought of what we've done so far it's been a really long time since we've done a check-in so oh yeah we'd love to hear from you yes you can email us at manners and madness at gmail.com you can dm us on twitter at manners madness or on instagram at manners and madness pod or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our, our, bleh, on our website at managerbaddest.com. Yes. We have a support button there if you would like to give us a dollar or two and... Or a million. Or what? I said or, or a million. million. <laughs> or a million. If, if you're feeling so generous. <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to get rid of a lot of money really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Just make it non traceable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's yeah. it for now. Like, yeah. Uh, we'll uh, <laughs> see you guys. Hopefully, we'll hear from you. We'll see you next week at the check in. Yep. Good night. Thank you. Bye. My God, Mercury. Why do you have to go to retrograde just so many times a year? (laughs) (laughs) Just pick one group of dates and stick to that so I can prepare.